Michigan embarrasses Nebraska in the Big Ten opener, a legend is honored at halftime, and we hit up some Facebook fan mail. I'm Adam Amble, and this is the M Factor. Folks, welcome back to the M Factor. I am your host, Adam Amble. I hope all of you are feeling as satisfied as I am over this last weekend's huge victory over Scott Frost and the Cornhuskers. We've got a lot to get into. We'll get into some stats. We'll get into some other stories of the week. But first, I have to do my plug. If you haven't yet, please get on over to Facebook, Google Play, and subscribe. You can also continue to listen on SoundCloud. Please give us a nice little five-star rating. We really appreciate it. And also thanks a lot to everyone that's been sharing on Facebook and SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play. It's really appreciated. Again, we can't do this without you. Do this for you guys, and hopefully you continue to enjoy it. Tell all your friends, Michigan fan or not. I mean, let's face it, we're trying to get everyone to join Michigan Nation here, uh, regardless of who they are rooting for. So like I said, get on over there, subscribe, and hopefully we continue to grow. Stuff has been really great so far, so thanks again. That being said, let's roll on into the game from this last weekend. As I mentioned in the opening, Michigan just absolutely destroys Nebraska. The game was not even close for those of you that watched it, those of you that were at the game. I'm sure everyone noticed. It was over within the first possession, I felt. We'll get into that uh, when we get into these, these statistics, but it looked like Nebraska just laid down and died. Literally, Michigan's first possession. So let's get into the... Overall statistics, again, final score is Michigan 56-10. to 10. Like I mentioned, it was well in doubt, well within the first quarter. It was 20 to nothing after the first quarter. It was 39 nothing after the first half, and then we decided to throw in, you know, the second string, third string. As a matter of fact, I believe there was a school record reported on MLive that I think it was like 72 different players actually played or were able to hit the field this weekend. So that is a very good thing. Not so good for Nebraska, but it's good to see those guys get in there and get some experience, especially against, let's not forget people, this is a Nebraska team that is very historyed, has had some great seasons. They got their brand new coach. They thought they were going to be pretty solid at the start of the year. And they start off 0-3 and just really just got embarrassed, outplayed, outcoached, out-enthused, if you want to call it that. It was just, it was incredible to see. I definitely didn't expect it. I'm sure most of you didn't either. But anyway, let's get into some of the stats. Michigan just dominated this whole game. First downs, 21-12. Third down efficiency, 7-15. So just uh, just under 50% there. Nebraska, though, 3-13. of Fourth down efficiency. We actually were one of two. We we went for it on a few short fourth downs there, which was good to see. But total yards, 491 to 132. That's a little deceiving considering we probably should have held Nebraska to well under 100 yards. It was looking like it was going to be like that well into the fourth quarter. But like I mentioned, we put in our third, by then it was our third string and they allowed that late touchdown. So it would have been nice to have the shutout, but regardless, still a dominating performance on both sides of the ball for Michigan. Passing 206 to 93 attempts. We really didn't have to, uh, Shea didn't really have to attempt many. We'll get into the individual stats a little later, but Nebraska 13 of 24. 6.6 yards per pass for Michigan to 3.9. Both had an interception thrown, and I I, I bring that up simply because poor Brandon Peters comes in. One of our quarterbacks from last year got some PT this past weekend, and what he he throws an interception. So kind of feel bad for the kid, but uh, at the same time, he got in there and got to play a little bit. Rushing, 
this is where we just we just I can't stress it enough how much we dominated this game. Rushing Nebraska 39 yards on 30 attempts, 1.3 yards per rush, folks. Absolutely disgusting. Absolutely just did not show up to play. This is a Big Ten team, folks. This is what I mentioned last week about the Big Ten West being absolute garbage. You cannot tell me that Nebraska, 39 yards, 39 yards, 1.3 yards of carry to Michigan's 285 yards, 45 carries. We just ran all over them, so it doesn't really matter. That's why we didn't have to pass a whole heck of a lot. 6.3 yards per uh, rush for the Wolverines. And I'm sure most of you saw it right off the bat. Literally the first play from scrimmage uh, after uh, Nebraska turned it over was a Higdon long run from about midfield. Wish he would have scored, but showed some great speed on that one. And on the second possession, knocks it into the end zone for uh, for a tutty. So the first two possessions, we just came out gunning. And like I mentioned before, it, it seemed like after the very first possession when Nebraska turned that ball over, it seemed like the game was over already. Michigan just never looked back, and I think Nebraska, honestly, it looked like they gave up, and that's on the coach. The coach, Frost, he has to he has to realize that. You can't, your team just laid down. I felt bad for Martinez, the quarterback for Nebraska, because he was on his butt all day long. He actually got the bench in the second half, and what's the name, Bunch came in and didn't have a bad game, but again, that was against our second string, but we'll get into that a little bit later in the individual statistics. Penalties, great job by Michigan. This They improved in every aspect of the game, I feel, this weekend. Penalties, they only had eight for 77 yards. Still, I mean, still kind of high, but in terms of what they've been averaging the last three weeks, that is a major, major improvement. I was glad to see it, especially, like I mentioned, I can't stress this enough. This is against a decent Big Ten team, folks. I don't know how decent they are this year. Apparently, not so much, but the storied, historic Big Ten team. Obviously, they were in the Big 12, the Big 8, but this is not a... uh, a weak competition team that maybe we have been we've been accused of playing SMU Western, you know, teams not really up to Big Ten caliber. Well, we destroyed Nebraska way more than or we dominated Nebraska way more than we did Western Michigan and SMU. Turnovers I mentioned, Michigan only had the one, which was the interception thrown by Peters. Nebraska had two, that fumbles lost. And the M factor of the game started right off the bat. That was that interception thrown by Martinez, the, let's see, it would have been the fourth play of the game. So we had Nebraska backed up third and long, and Martinez throws a, basically just a Hail Mary, you know, 30, what was that, a 20-some yard pass, which they got most of their yards in the first half off that one pass. And I said, oh my goodness, what luck, you know, it was just a, it was a crappy pass, it shouldn't have been caught. Nonetheless, the next play, we intercept it. And we don't look back from there. So the M factor of the game was that first interception, which literally happened minutes into the game. From then on, Michigan dominates every aspect of the game. And like I said, Nebraska just just folds. Time of possession, Michigan dominates 35-29 to 25-31 for the Cornhuskers. It was unbelievable. I, I can't, again, I can't stress that enough. It was unbelievable to watch. I'm wondering how, how much the, uh, the crowd was rocking after really the first quarter. The game actually was kind of boring to watch. Uh, besides, we got to see a little more of Dylan McCaffrey, get into him in a little bit. A little bit of uh, some guys you really don't get to see all the time. So I'm sure that was really fun for them. And like I mentioned, it's really good experience to get those guys out there that don't get to see a lot of playing time throughout those uh, throughout the closer games and the more the, the bigger games you might say. So like I mentioned, M factor was easily the rush yards and that very first interception. Offensive line looked incredible. 
I remember one play vividly. It was it was like first and goal, and they fired out, and the whole offensive line was two yards into the end zone. That's always good to see. That means they're getting a nice little push right up front. Like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it looks like they're really starting to click. They are improving. That's what we want to see. We don't really care about the score, right, folks? We want to see improvement, 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 and you can't improve much more than we did this last weekend. The polls agree we move up five. Back to our uh, original preseason ranking, back to number 14 in the AP. I believe we're 15 in the coaches poll that just came out today. So really impressed with the overall team play of Michigan and really, really disappointed in the team play of Nebraska. I'm going to give Michigan a lot of credit here because they came out hitting. They came out fast. They came out ready to play, aggressive. They came out mean. They want, Like I said, they wanted to hit. That was great to see. I was glad to see that major, major improvement because they, you know, they look kind of lackluster against SMU, kind of a letdown game. That's understandable, but they come out in Nebraska and just hit them right in the chin right off the bat. Awesome. And it couldn't happen against a better team. Well, it could, you know, hopefully we do that against Penn State, Michigan State and Ohio State there. But great job, Wolverines. Really proud of, really proud of how they played this last weekend. Getting into some of the individual stats, Shea Patterson, another solid game. Didn't have to throw much, as I mentioned earlier, because uh, Higdon, pretty much the whole, anyone they put in there to, to run the ball was solid. Uh, Evans was out with an injury, so hopefully we get him back next weekend. I haven't heard anything from Harbaugh yet on that. Uh, that. That news will probably come out a little later this week. But Shea Patterson, 15 of 22, 120 yards, one TD. Not a great QB rating of 58.5, but 15 of 22, you know, seven incomplete passes. Not too shabby. We got to see Dylan McCaffrey come in. He, three of eight, 86 yards, one TD. But I'm sure most of you remember uh, the play you don't see on here, and that is his scamper for, geez, it was, what was it, 80 yards down. It was called back for a penalty, unfortunately, but showed some amazing speed, uh, great athleticism there from McCaffrey. Unfortunately, it was called back, but that was pretty exciting to see. And then they get Aubrey Thomas in there to play some wide receiver, and unfortunately, he drops a just a beautiful pass for McCaffrey. It felt bad for McCaffrey, but what does McCaffrey do? He bounces right back and throws uh, just another dime. He couldn't have thrown it better. That was that was just beautiful, right, to Bell there. His only reception of the game for Bell, but it was a, it was a nice one, a 56-yard grab for a touchdown. So uh, great job, McCaffrey. Again, that future is looking bright for him. Just hang in there, buddy. Hang in there, and, uh, and he's definitely going to get a shot here in the next couple years. But not to take anything away from Shea, he had a solid game. No turnovers, had a touchdown, and like I mentioned, didn't have to throw the ball that much anyway. So on to the Michigan rushing. This is where we really, really dominate the game. Props to the O-line, like I mentioned. Higdon with 12 carries, 136 yards, one touchdown. Could have had two touchdowns, but if he would have had a little bit more of an angle on that first run, that first long run from midfield. Turner, 10 yard, or uh, pardon me, 10 carries for 55 yards. Big True Wilson gets in there again, six carries, 43 yards. He had a nice 26-yard rumble there, and great job for Big True. Dylan McCaffrey did have uh, two carries for 23 yards. Those were more rushes, and then uh, Samuels got in the game again for six carries for 23 yards. Here's one of our M factors. I'm sure you guys, <laughs> you guys probably like to see this, was Big Mason stumble in for three touchdowns. Six carries, 18 yards. It's awesome to see the fullback get in there and rumble in for, for a couple tutties. Pardon me, three tutties. So good for him. And uh, it was it was great to see Harbaugh after the game in the press conference said, he's got momentum. Why, why did we give inertia? Inertia. You know, he's a big dude, huge dude. And yeah, he gets going. I guess he gets a, a pretty good head of steam going and he's hard to bring down. And he definitely showed that during the game this last uh, Saturday. Receiving. 
kind of not not the greatest game for everyone, but here's one thing I would like to go over about the Michigan receiving core all year long, the drop passes. Hardly any, besides Thomas's big drop there from McCaffrey. All season long, you just haven't seen the drops that you, you we've kind of seen in Michigan in the past. You know, going back to Braylon Edwards, Braylon uh, used to drop a, a lot of easy passes to him. One of my favorite receivers was Marquise Walker because he was so sure-handed and, and stuff like that. So I got to give Michigan receiving props when it is due, and it is due not so much from the stat standpoint, but let's look at the stats of drop passes. I would love to see that. They didn't have to throw a lot this game, like I mentioned uh, uh, multiple times. They did not have to throw a lot, so the stats aren't that great. We got Bell with the one awesome reception, uh, or the one great catch. Uh, actually, it wasn't even a great catch, considering it was right in his hands from McCaffrey. Gentry had three receptions for 32 yards, so McKeon had two receptions for 29 yards. Tight ends being used pretty solidly. DPJ only had one reception for 10 yards. Again, I'm not too concerned with that. Didn't have to use them very very much. Perry led the team with four receptions, but for only five yards. So a couple little screen passes and stuff that didn't work out well. Nonetheless, uh, really impressed again with the Michigan receiving and their ability to catch the ball and to come down with some difficult throws. The Michigan quarterbacks have been doing a pretty solid job of actually getting them the ball accurately, as we've stated all year. Let's face it, I don't think besides that Thomas drop that you can think of an actual big drop that could have resulted in a touchdown or something like that. So great job, guys. Great job on the receiving end. And, uh, you know, as we move over to the Michigan defense, it doesn't change. Bush, great game, six tackles. All six were solo tackles, so you saw him flying all over the field like the Devin Bush of old. He also had a sack on the day. Ross, Watson, both had four tackles. Pay, Metellus, and Hutchinson all had three. Winovich with two, and Rashawn Gary with two. Winovich and Gary both had a sack, so it's good to see them back there wreaking havoc on the quarterback. And really, that's what Michigan's defense did all game long, even with that second, third string in. Some of it could have been because Nebraska laid down. But besides that, the Michigan defense was just all over the field, showed a lot of speed, and showed a lot of aggressiveness, like I mentioned. So good job by the defense. Nothing real negative to take away from the defense besides one thing. Another targeting call against Hudson. Comes back for the second half. He gets a targeting call and gets ejected from the game again. This one was even more lame than last week's. I'm sorry, it is the rule, so I don't mean to knock the refs, knock the rule. I think it's ridiculous. You know, we got to get back to football and hitting and stuff like that. Some of you that probably watched some of the NFL this last weekend, how about that Clay Matthews hit on Alex Smith? That's probably where the college game is headed, but you guys, you got to let these guys hit. They know what they're in for when they're young, and they're starting to protect these guys way too much for a very aggressive, violent collision sport. You know, it's not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. Everyone knows what they sign up for, so I certainly did back in high school, and it, it <laughs> they didn't protect me at all, so... So a really, you know, kind of disappointing when it comes to the Hudson ejection. Nonetheless, he did finish the game with two tackles uh, in, in about one quarter of play. So good job, Hudson. Way to stick it up. And hopefully next game you can stick around for a little bit. Michigan did have the one interception. Metellus with another one, which was awesome. Didn't return this one for a touchdown like he did the, the previous week. But nonetheless, good job for Metellus. Kick returns, nothing special. You know, they, they only received two kickoffs. So one was at the start of the second half. So uh, nothing real special there, but they didn't have to, so no big deal. And how about the other M factor of the game, DPJ, with an awesome, awesome 60-yard punt return for a touchdown. That was exciting. I'm sure the stadium was actually rocking for that one because 
made some great moves, a couple spin moves in there, which was awesome to see, and showed that breakaway speed and showed the, uh, you know, kind of the elusiveness that we were hoping to see last year. So great job by DPJ. Bell got in there for a uh, punt return, one for seven yards, so not terrible. He held on to the ball. That's what you like to see. Just don't fumble the ball, right? But for the uh, for the M factor on on special teams, definitely DPJ. I don't think anyone argues with that. He was named Big Ten Co Special Teams Player of the Week, so congrats to him on that. Quinn Norton, good job kicking, two for two on field goals. He did really, really muff that extra point though there in the first quarter. That was I don't know what happened. I don't I don't even think someone got a piece of it. But woo, that was that was a little rough. Didn't end up hurting him. At the same time, you you really don't want to see your kicker missing extra points by that much. A little lack of concentration there, but got in there, uh, made a nice fifty yarder. So good job by Quinn Norton. Great, great overall performance by all of these guys. Like I mentioned earlier, I can't take away a negative from this game. It's really impressive. I'm really impressed with everything. M-Factors were pretty solid, pretty easy to pick out this week. I'm sure most of you probably agree you could see a lot of turning points of the game. And unfortunately for Nebraska, the turning point of the game was literally on their first possession, that interception right off the bat. And they just they just died right there because they had a little bit of life. Talk about an up down turn of events in terms of emotion. You're high off or you're really high in emotion after you complete that third and long. Probably shouldn't have, but you got a little luck going on there. And then you throw an interception, and then you allow a huge run to Higdon, and they score with ease the next three possessions. So awesome improvement all around the field and in every aspect of the game i thought they improved including the penalties so great job u of m that really really bodes well for us you really want to go into the big 10 season with that uh, with that confidence with the emotion that you guys are getting better and i think definitely the major improvement was the offensive line it's been improving every week I've heard uh, a lot of them on Twitter, heard a lot of them on MLive quoting how they're really starting to know each other's moves. They're really starting to understand the, you know, kind of, it was supposed to be a more simplified offense, but based on that Notre Dame game, I wasn't so sure, but they're really starting to trust each other, know each other's moves, know where each other are going to be and really protecting Shea and really opening up some holes for Higdon. I think Higdon made it to the second level on almost every carry that he had. He was rarely stuffed behind the line of scrimmage, which you didn't really see against Notre Dame, well, hardly at all against Notre Dame. And then the offensive line really, we mentioned it didn't matter about the caliber of competition that we were playing. What matters is those guys improving, those guys getting a little confidence, and what better way to do it than a shellacking of your Big Ten opener, the Cornhuskers, 56-10. to 10. But even though the game might have been a bore in terms of the score, and still exciting for U of M fans. Uh, but at halftime, Mr. Chuck Charles Woodson, number two, the myth, the man, the legend, was honored at halftime by none other than Coach Lloyd Carr. Both of these guys throughout my childhood were basically my heroes, you know what I mean? When it comes to Michigan football, these are the two guys that I think about. These are the two guys I grew up watching, and especially in their heyday, Lloyd Carr obviously was the coach that led us to our last national championship. I'm going to call it a national championship now, not a co-national championship, simply because how we manhandled Nebraska this last weekend and Scott Frost. But Lloyd, Coach Carr, along with Charles, my main man Charles, really led that team. For those of you that don't know Charles Woodson, which I find that hard to believe, but a lot of my younger friends, a lot of the younger listeners to this show might not know exactly what he meant to the University of Michigan and to the Oakland Raiders as well as the Green Bay Packers. 
at Michigan. He played three years, started his second game as a freshman for Lloyd, and really never looked back from there. He started every game since. He really broke out his sophomore season. He was all defense, and coming into the 97 season, basically, you know, he was definitely touted as being one of the best defensive backs in the country and one of the best special teams players in the country. Many of us that year remember the amazing one-handed grab against Schultz there, the quarterback for Michigan State, in which they won that game. They won every game that season, so that goes without saying. And who could forget the punt return against Ohio State, which basically turned around that game, the final game of the season, which wrapped up their Rose Bowl bid, where they went on to play Washington State, had a crucial interception in the end zone against Washington State, also had an interception against Ohio State. And let's not forget, he played offense on occasion, and every time he touched the ball, it was electric. He would, I think up until that Ohio State game, every time he touched the ball, I think, I think it was like five, six times throughout the season as a wide receiver, he would actually score a touchdown against Ohio State. He almost made it to the end zone, got tripped up a little bit, but nonetheless, uh, Michigan scored their only offensive touchdown, I believe, that game, which uh, was just historic for myself and family and friends, and you can't say enough about Charles Woodson. Great individual, great uh, on and off the field, uh, just a great all-around person, gives to a lot of charities and stuff, and same with Coach Carr. So it was really awesome to see both of them basically be honored. It was Lloyd that gave him the award, but it was cool to see both of them on the field and the standing ovation. I was not at the game. I was told it was rather electric and eruptive, and but I was able to watch it on, on social media. So congratulations to Charles, Coach Carr. We miss you guys and uh, glad everything's going well with them. So that was some excellent halftime entertainment along with the Michigan Marching Band, which is great as usual. But moving on to other things besides the game, last week there was some breaking news. We were able to get a commit from the number one overall safety, Daxton Hill. He is a our first five-star recruit for the 2019 class, so that's that's pretty solid. But that's really the only major, major storyline from this past week. But I'm sure more will develop as time goes on this week, and we'll review all of that in next week's episode. So let's get into the questionnaire segment of the show. It was awesome to read some of your questions and email, but this week I think we're going to do a little something different. We're going to rock some of the Facebook messages. Actually, first, let's go over the question from last week, and that was, who was your hated player from 1997? And I would like to mention that a lot of the listeners and stuff probably don't remember the 97 season very much, my younger sister being one of them, as she mentioned in her post. So a lot of listeners, a lot of my friends, a lot of my family, they don't really know what it was like in 97, which really got me into Michigan football. I don't think I've missed watching a game since, and I don't intend on missing a game unless I'm down in Mexico or something like that. Oh, I take that back. I did miss the Michigan-Colorado game a couple years ago. I was down in Mexico working. You don't get... uh, you don't get the old Big Ten network down there. So that was that was one game that I have missed in the, since 97. But anyway, we got to remember that a lot of listeners and people that are responding to this podcast really have no idea what it was like when Michigan was a true powerhouse. I know one of my buddies that's a, a dedicated listener, he has only beat Ohio State, I think he said twice in his whole life, twice in his life. And <laughs> it's sad to say, but he's 22 years old. So what does that tell you? That's not good, right, guys? But back to the question of most hated player that year. Of course, many of you, pretty much all of you, stated David Boston. That's That was basically my number one. Uh, there were some others. Scott Frost did make an appearance, and my boy Mattern stated the dreaded 10-year Ron Paulus from Notre Dame. It's kind of a running joke with us. It seems like he was there literally for a decade at Notre Dame as the quarterback. So kind of a little chuckle I had to give him on, on that one. That was well done, buddy. 
My top three basically went, of course, David Boston was number one, simply because of his just trashy. Of course, he played for the Buckeyes, which is just disgusting. Sadly, he was pretty good. That always is a kind of a you know knife to the side or whatever when you're playing a rival and they happen to have some amazing players. I'm not going to give him too much credit, but nonetheless, he was a solid player, so he is definitely my number one. It was great to see Marcus Ray lay him out in that last regular season game where Woodson and Boston basically were getting into it almost every single play. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember when you know Woodson lost his helmet, Boston got his off, they were in a little bit of a tussle there. All the networks love to show old footage of that before rivalry week of Michigan-Ohio State. And then, of course, Boston just happens to break free. I believe Woodson actually kind of tripped up, fell down, and Boston was able to escape and get that that one long touchdown, his one touchdown of the game. Wish he could have had zero or would have gotten zero. But uh, nonetheless, I think we got the final laugh with the win, and I think Woodson definitely got the final laugh in terms of his game, as we discussed earlier. So Boston, easily number one. I think that was pretty much the consensus throughout Facebook, email, and social media in regards to that question. My number two, John Navarre, of course. He was probably already in Wisconsin. You know, I think he was probably high school by then, just waiting to just torment me for four years at Michigan. So John Navarre, easily number two. And number three, a lot of people are surprised about this one. And let me explain before you rip my head off or turn the channel or shut me down, mute me, whatever. It was Peyton Manning. What? Not Peyton Manning. How can you hate Peyton Manning? Now, I don't hate Peyton Manning. Let's get this straight first. I think he was awesome pro, great sense of humor. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen some of his Saturday Night Live skits. Those are just hilarious. Uh, love what he does. Obviously, he had a great career in the NFL, a great student of the game, and you get, really had to respect him. I know I did in the pros. But kind of going back to this Nebraska co-championship thing with Scott Frost. Now, Many of you probably don't remember that Nebraska had to play a Peyton Manning, Tennessee at the end of the season back in 97. Now, Peyton Manning was up for the Heisman. I'm glad Sir Charles ended up beating him out. But at the same time, Peyton Manning was very good. I believe that year it was what Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Ryan Leaf, and Randy Moss. So just shows how great Charles Woodson was right there. Ryan Leaf was the only one out of that group to not really pan out. He had some major problems. Hope he's doing all right. But anyway, that was the 98 Orange Bowl. Of course, it was a 97 season, but the Orange Bowl was played on January 2nd back there in 98. This was obviously back before the two top teams in the country would play for the national championship. Michigan went to the Rose Bowl, and it was Nebraska, who was then number two by the AP, and Tennessee was actually number three in the AP, 11-1 and record, which was solid. Nebraska was 12-0. and And Peyton Manning just gives us a goose egg, basically. Just terrible. We had already won the Rose Bowl on January 1st against Washington State, and we were hopeful Tennessee knocks off Nebraska and we would be the outright national champions. Well, that didn't turn out so well as Peyton Manning, like I mentioned, throws up a goose egg, and Nebraska ended up just whomping the crap out of Tennessee 42-17. to So that is my hatred against Peyton Manning. Had a lot of faith in them that I honestly thought they had a great chance to win that game. It wasn't meant to be. I think Nebraska led 14-3 to at halftime. So Tennessee was still kind of in the game. But then Nebraska rattles off 21 points in the third quarter and 7 in the fourth. And, of course, gives you that final of 42-17. to So that's where I get the hatred for Peyton Manning. So my top three, David Boston, of course. Obviously, John Navarre, followed by 
Peyton Manning. So quite an odd list, a little different than your guys's, I'm sure. But like I said, most of you did pick David Boston as your number one. And there were some other ones. Curtis Enos was in there, the running back from Penn State, which we just dismantled that year, which was awesome. And I believe that was five versus three. We go into Happy Valley and just absolutely destroy him. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember that game. I was really excited. I remember watching it at home with the fam. So that game kind of catapulted us into the top two or the national championship discussion because we really weren't getting a lot of play. You know, that was kind of later on in the season and we were still undefeated. Nowadays, if you're undefeated that late in the season, you're easily, you know, top three. So that was a great game. Schultz from Michigan State, the quarterback, <laughs> that was that was a good one. Woodson obviously got the best of them on that one-handed interception, but they did play us tough. And, you know, there are a few others. I, I don't really recall a lot of their names and stuff like that, but uh, thanks for doing Like I said, it was, it was a landslide, David Boston, which isn't surprising. So thanks for answering the questions. Now, I did receive a lot of questions via email. But I would like to go over some of the Facebook questions that I received over the past week because I haven't really answered a lot of the Facebook side of things. So first of all, thanks for everyone for kind of joining in on the discussion and stuff like that. It was really good to see a lot of the posts, uh, friends, family. I'd like to see some strangers get on there and stuff. But nonetheless, let's get started with question number one. Comes from my boy, JJ. JJ was one of my good buddies from Fair State. His question, would you buy another Michigan jersey? And if so, whose would it be? Hashtag Tate Forcier, hashtag four game legend. Well played, JJ. Couldn't agree with you more. A lot of you, maybe you guys didn't hear the story from previous episode, but when Tate Forcier led us back against Notre Dame, I'm sure a lot of you guys remember that game. It was great. They were talking Heisman, and let's not face it, this was what, figure third, fourth game of the season. It was at home against Notre Dame, who was ranked obviously higher than us. This was Rich Rodier, so we were not ranked. However, Tate Forcier leads us down the field on that game-winning drive. Awesome. We wake up the next morning there talking freshman Heisman. Him and Berkeley, or Barkley from USC, both of those guys really didn't pan out. Nonetheless, my buddy and I decided to grab some Tate Forcier jerseys. Awesome, right? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was first first Michigan jersey I'd ever bought. So I go into the store. I actually went to the M-Den over there in Ann Arbor. Great store. Go check it out. That's not a plug. I just really think that's a great place to go if you want to buy some merchandise or collectibles, stuff like that. That's over in the Ann Arbor Mall there. But I go in, I'm by myself, and they have a blue and white jersey. So I said, perfect, perfect, perfect. This is awesome. I'll take them both. Had to grab one for my buddy. I was grabbing one for myself. Well, one was an authentic and one was a replica. Now, for those of you who don't know, authentic is normally a little more pricey. I'm not about to say how much I actually spent on it, but it was hands down 60% more than the white jersey or away jersey. So I meet up with my buddy and I hold them both out. I let him pick. I was hoping he would pick. I thought for sure he would pick the blue one. What does he do? He picks the white one and pays me 60, like I said, 60% less than what I normally would have, than I would have got for the blue one. So that's been a running joke pretty much since I bought that jersey. While I continue to wear that jersey strong, I'm sure a lot of you, uh, if you notice any Facebook pictures from even a couple years ago, I was wearing that number five Adidas jersey, so I still have it. I just don't wear it anymore. I actually retired it when Michigan decided to go with the Jumpman, which I feel is a great decision. But nonetheless, that's kind of a little uh, background on why that uh, the hashtags there from JJ and the question is so relevant. But back to the question, would I ever buy another jersey? You know, right now, no. I really, I really am over the jersey kick. I got some solid t-shirts, some sweatshirts, some, you know, dry fit stuff. If I were to buy another one, I really have to, I alluded to it earlier, I would have to go with the number two. I know right now it sounds kind of cheesy because it's Shea Patterson. People thought that number five was cheesy too because I would still wear it when Jabril Peppers played. Nonetheless, 
I always would still claim, and many of my friends can attest to this, that I would still claim it was Tate Forcier, so you can't give me a lot of crap for that. But the number two would easily be in my in my arsenal if uh, if I ever decide to actually buy another jersey. So thanks for the question, Jay. Hope everything's going well with you, buddy. Second question comes courtesy of my younger sibling. Allison writes, what is your favorite U of M game experience? I would like to break that actually into two games. The first is, you know, the one that I hold dearest to my heart. The very first time going to the big house that was with my dad. The story goes, it's actually a really great story. It just shows you what type of guy my dad was. This was back in 98, so the year after they won the national championship. They started the season kind of rough against Notre Dame and Syracuse. They lost both of those games, so they're actually 0-2 going into this game, but that didn't matter. I came home on a Friday, you know, just a young buck, 13, 14 years old, uh, got home on a Friday. And I saw those two tickets lying on the, the kitchen counter there, and I went ecstatic. I, I almost, uh, you know, I feel my stomach got all butterfly-y and stuff like that. It, it was great. And uh, my dad basically said, hey, we're going to the Michigan game tomorrow. And I, it was great. I'd never been there. And, you know, growing up in a small town, there's not a lot of bigger cities that we had been to than Ann Arbor. So I'd never been to Ann Arbor really before that I could remember anyway. And that night, it was, I'll tell you guys what, it was like Christmas Eve night, you know, when you were a kid and you couldn't sleep all night just that excited it that's what it was like for me and my dad used to do this thing waking up me and my sisters he used to do this little that 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 little little noise when uh, he would wake us up for school and flicker the lights and everything and it definitely worked for that but uh, there was no need that Saturday morning he came in started flicking the, the lights and actually did that instead of the that 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 he ended up doing the Michigan fight song. So yeah, I didn't have to get in the mood, but that definitely uh, pumped me up even more. So we hopped in the old minivan. We ended up going down with my two cousins, Phil and Steve, uh, which is awesome. They're also huge Michigan fans as most of my family is, but these guys know a lot about, uh, they had, they'd been to games before. These guys know a lot about Michigan football history and pretty much all sports history. They're pretty good sports buffs in the, in the family. So uh, it was awesome riding down with them. You know, you figure it's about a two, two and a half hour drive, uh, probably about a two, two hour, 15 minute drive from Coleman. So all the way down, just chatting about sports and stuff like that. It was really fun. We headed down. We went to old Blimpy Subs, grabbed a sub before the game. And let me tell you, never being in Ann Arbor for a Michigan game, it, it's something you'll never forget. Just the the passion. This is why people love college football. And I know it's like this around other towns and stuff like that. But for me, when you're a fan growing up and you finally get to go to the place where you, it's like a celebrity to you. It's a place you see on TV, you know, your whole life. Like I mentioned, I was 13, 14 years old and literally just incredible. The amount of people, you know, maize and blue all over the place, the spirit, the enthusiasm for college football. And mind you, this was an 0-2 Michigan team, but nonetheless, every weekend it was like that. And I just, I, you know, you just feel part of something and it's really, it's a really good feeling. And that's why I feel all of us are not only college football fans, but Michigan fans as well. So Nonetheless, we went to Blimpy Sub, grabbed some subs, and then was the walk to the stadium. And the whole walk, I, you know, to me, it seems like it happened in an instant because I was just so excited and it didn't let me down at all. Walking into the gates of the stadium, right where you give the old ticket guys the ticket and just walking in just the amount of people all over the place. And there you see the big house. And this was also before they had the big scoreboards and the huge renovations to the press boxes and stuff like that. This is when they actually still had the smaller press box on the home side of the field. But nonetheless, 
you look at Michigan Stadium, and regardless of how tall it looks above the ground, those of you that have been there, you definitely know that it doesn't, before the renovations, it wasn't that high above the ground, you know, we're talking three or four stories maybe above the ground, so you figure that's what, 20, 30 rows of seating actually, and I just remember, again, the smells of the popcorn and the hot dogs and, and the sight of just a sea of maize and blue, just everyone wearing maize and blue. This game was, I think I might have mentioned, this game was against Eastern Michigan, and there wasn't an Eastern Michigan fan in the area, which is crazy because it was, you know, Eastern Michigan is in Ypsilanti, so relatively close. But just the sea of maize and blue, incredible. I'll never forget it. And we hadn't even been inside the stadium yet. So as we walked through the tunnels, I was sitting there trying to peek through the tunnels, you know, peek through the adults and stuff like that, trying to look through and see, just get a glimpse of the field because I had no idea how far down it was going to go. And that first step through that tunnel into the stands and the sun was beating down on my face and it was, it was perfect temperature, partly cloudy, few clouds in the sky. It was the vision that a painting was made of. And there wasn't a lot of people in there yet because we got there kind of early. You guys know how the stadiums then fill up, obviously closer to kickoff, but you walk in and, and it still gives me goosebumps to this day. Remembering that first time walking through that tunnel and Looking above me and just seeing the, like I mentioned, 25, 30 rows above me, but looking down at the 100 rows all the way down to the field and just the beautiful green grass. This was before they had the turf, so they still had the grass there. Michigan painted in the end zones, the big block M at the 50-yard line. I didn't think it could get any better, but boy, was I wrong as the stadium started to fill up. I just remember looking in my dad's sunglasses reflection and it looked like it was, you know, the crowd looked like it looked like on TV and it was like I was in a, it, it was almost surreal. You know, I couldn't believe where I was at the time. And when the band came out again, you get goosebumps. I still get goosebumps to this day when the band comes out and the crowd goes nuts and they start playing that Michigan fight song and the M fanfare and everything like that. And then they roll out the banner and the team runs out and slaps that banner crowds going crazy, you know, kick off the game. The sights, the sounds, the smells, and then even the feeling of a, it was a gentle breeze that day. I, I still remember the weather, for crying out loud. That's just how much it meant to me. Not only was it my first Michigan game, they did end up winning that, uh, as I'm sure most of you remember, but it was Eastern Michigan, so 59-20. to 20. We had our boy Tom Brady at quarterback. You know, We had a great offensive line that year, too. Jeff Backus, Hutchinson, Brandt. There's a lot of good players right there. David Terrell, the A-Train's uh, freshman year. Or pardon me, I think it was his sophomore year, but we had Marquise Walker. He was a freshman that year. Marcus Knight, another great wide receiver in our history. Ian Gold, Larry Foote on defense, you know, some great players. Hayden Epstein was the kicker, and he was my favorite kicker from then on, because, or my favorite Michigan kicker from then on, just because, you know, I saw him in person. But not only was it my first Michigan game, it was one of the great experiences I got to share with my dad and how my dad made it basically the best trip that I, one of the best trips I've ever been on, and definitely the most memorable, easily. So that was number one, uh, and that will always be number one. There's not a, I don't care how exciting the game is, I will go over this next game that I definitely, you know, I feel was the most exciting game, and that was the Michigan-Notre Dame game, the first night game that they had. We were sitting right in the 20-yard line, right in the corner of the end zone where uh, where Denard tossed the rock through that touchdown pass to beat the Irish. That one was crazy. It was a maze out. Everyone had the two little maze pom-poms. And everyone had them. I mean, normally they try to do this at the games, but this was, I'm sure a lot of you guys remember watching it on TV. If you were there, you remember all you saw were those pom-poms, everyone around you. I mean, they gave out extras, I swear. And it was awesome. I think I still have those pom-poms, actually. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll have to look for those and put them in a nice frame or something like that. But nonetheless, a great game. And, you know, that, that was the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. So 
that was definitely the most exciting game but like i mentioned the first game with my dad was the one i will never forget and easily the best experience one that i've ever had so great question and unfortunately two questions is all we have time for this week but thanks again for the questions guys keep them coming i'm gonna get more interactive especially on facebook because i know i've been basically relying on a lot of email and stuff like that there will be a M Factor fan page coming up here for Facebook so we can stop plugging up people's profile pages and whatnot. And also, you'll be able to subscribe to that fan page and basically get notifications of when each podcast comes out so you're not missing it on the wall when I post it or something like that. The news feed tends to be a little judgmental with its algorithms. I'm not getting into that, but you know they do filter out some things and what news feed or what stories your friends can see and stuff like that. So I'd like to reach a larger audience through Facebook and make sure all not only my friends and family, but also some strangers and the stuff that you guys share also gets out there to people that may not be friends of mine on Facebook. So we're looking forward to doing that in the future here. So hang in there. If it doesn't come this year, it'll definitely be here next year, but I'm working on it right now. I'm just trying to get the content and stuff like that out to you guys. So like I said, hang in there, but really appreciate everything guys. So that said, I'd like to get into the rival annoyance of the week. This one courtesy again of our boys in green and white up there in East Lansing. This last weekend, I was in Grand Rapids watching the Michigan game. We had a little watch party at Pepino's over there. Great place to watch a Michigan game. A lot of Michigan fans. If you're in the area and need a place to watch it, I'd highly recommend it. But afterwards, went over to a buddy's place. Uh, He had a little bash going on. And sitting watching the Michigan State-Indiana game, which I was rooting for the Hoosiers, of course, one of these Sparty fans decided to kind of make fun of the attendance at the game. And I instantly started to bite my lip and basically had to hold back because I didn't want to lash out in front of all these Michigan State fans. This is a major annoyance of me. It has been for years how Michigan State football cannot seem to fill their stadium. I think they, I don't even know if they fill it against Michigan because I'm normally watching the game and not really caring about the outside environment and stuff like that. But I remember it vividly last year or in the year before when they were playing these top-notch, you know, we're talking top five teams, Ohio State, Penn State, and you notice how that upper deck is basically nothing, zilch. The upper corners are basically empty, and I don't want to say zilch. They do end up kind of filling it up, but this isn't the student section, folks. These are both upper decks, the corners of them. Notice in almost all of these games, pretty much 100% of them, like I said, I can't speak for the Michigan game because my focus is elsewhere, but take a look in the corners of those upper decks and notice how empty they are throughout the entire game. It's just disgusting. I mean, it's not like it's that hard to actually fill that stadium. I think the capacity is, what, 75,000? Ooh, way to go. And you still can't fill the darn stadium. I can't stand that. I can't believe that even as good as they've been, how much crap they talk, they still can't even fill the stadium against, we're talking, like I mentioned, we're talking nationally ranked teams, big games, games for the Big Ten title to go to the Big Ten championship. And like I said, I can't even tell you if they actually fill those corners of the upper decks against Michigan, which would be just awful considering we are their biggest rival. They're not ours. Don't fool yourself, Sparty fans. You are not our biggest rival. That is Ohio State. We'll get back on it eventually. Give it a little time. Like I mentioned last week, it happened in the 90s where we just dominated. It's happening for them now. So get off of your high horse and thinking that you are equal with Ohio State when it comes to being a rival. You are not. You are not that significant in football. And I don't want to hear, oh, it's because we're a basketball school. Well, guess what? We're owning that so-called rivalry. Are you about to end that just because we've been dominating you guys the last couple of years? I don't think so. It's funny. I remember a couple of years back on a beautiful day and it was your homecoming and it, oh, the upper deck just looked terrible. 
And I want to say it was against a Northwestern team that was actually ranked. It was actually a pretty big game for them. And it was just a despicable sight. Despicable. I kid you not, it was about half the stadium full at halftime. We're not talking at the beginning of the game, waiting for the students and some stragglers to come in. But in the middle of the game, by halftime, and this was homecoming against a very good team, a big game, and it was beautiful weather out. You know, this was early fall. And I believe I actually posted on Facebook a comparison of Michigan or Spartan Stadium to Michigan Stadium same day. And I believe Michigan was playing, I think it was Illinois or something like that. So not a very big game for Michigan. The same time, same point in the game. And just to show the backing that Michigan fans have for our team, even during the Rich Rod and the Brady Hoke years, even when we weren't so great, our record was not that great. We were still packing in a hundred and well over a hundred thousand people every game. So this it was it was just despicable. I'll have to go back and look and see if I can find that picture somewhere buried in the Facebook archives because it was it was actually quite hilarious. So well done, all you fair weather Spartan fans. Just ridiculous. But this leads us nicely into the question of the week. And that question is what is your guys' favorite stadium besides obviously the big house? or the school or college that you went to. It can be really any stadium. I don't care if it's baseball, football, basketball, you know, NASCAR, a concert. I just would like to hear your favorite venue to see any sort of event. So that'll be the question for next week. Hopefully we get some good answers. Again, post those on Facebook, send them through email, text, whatever. I look forward to reading them. And speaking of other stadiums, the Maize and Blue traveled to Northwestern this weekend, and that stadium, I've actually been to a game there. It was a great time. Northern Chicago is really beautiful. That campus is really beautiful, so I got to give it to Northwestern on that, but I cannot give them much credit. Actually, it's not so much Northwestern. It would be more the Michigan following of 40% Michigan fans. Actually, maybe more like 45. It might have been 50-50 for all I know, because when Michigan goes to Northwestern, you can bet that there's going to be a lot of Michigan fans in those stands. But anyway, the game is this Saturday, 4.30. That'll be on Fox. My prediction for this game will be Michigan 42 Northwestern 10. I believe it'll be another butt whooping. I just saw too much improvement from Michigan this last weekend and Northwestern. Kind of a bummer story, but their running back had to retire from the game of football. He was diagnosed with some sort of spinal disease that forced him to get out of the the sport of football. So you never like to see that. That's a terrible story. So feel for Northwestern a little bit on that. But Michigan has already came out as a couple touchdown favorite, at least. I definitely agree with that. Like I mentioned earlier, defense, offense, special teams penalties, coaching. Everything seemed to improve drastically over this last weekend at the start of Big Ten play. So hopefully we can continue to keep on improving as we head deeper and deeper into this Big Ten schedule. It sure would be nice to head into Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State, that little stretch there with only one loss, and then obviously head into the big one at the end of the season against Ohio State with one loss. Fight through the tough part of the schedule. If we keep improving, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be neck and neck with Ohio State at the end of the season. I think Ohio State beats the crap out of Penn State this weekend. That's a bold prediction, but I really do feel that. I think Ohio State is definitely the team to beat besides the Wolverines, of course, in the Big Ten this year. So I just hope when we head up to East Lansing, they can actually maybe fill the stadium. A bunch of losers. But anyway, if you are not heading to the game this weekend to visit beautiful Northside Chicago, Evanston, like I said, it's it's really beautiful up there, especially this time of year. I'm sure you might even get to see some leaves changing and stuff like that, but beautiful, beautiful campus, cool stadium. Enjoy it there. And if you are not heading to the game, 430 Fox, hopefully you tune in. Go Blue.
And that will bring an end to this week's episode of The M Factor. Again, if you have not yet, please subscribe over on iTunes, Google Play, or continue to listen on SoundCloud. We really appreciate it. appreciate the reviews. Appreciate the interactions on Facebook, email, any sort of social media that you see us on. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Let's unite all of Michigan Nation here. So, again, thank you very much, everyone. I will see you next week. Same time, same place. I'm Adam Amble, and this is The M Factor. Thank you